Great customer experience rules the world of business in our digital age. Expectations are higher than ever. And the companies that deliver? They're on top because they know how to harness the power of artificial intelligence and automation. Want to sharpen your acumen? Then tune in to the CX Experience. Each episode, host Eric Cavanaugh interviews the brightest minds in digital. From AI and machine learning to analytics and automation, you'll learn it all. And now, here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. So the Engagement Preparedness Index is a multidimensional index. It has three um, main factors, and it's essentially, what is the solution state at the organization? Um, how prepared does that business leader feel they are based on that solution state? And what are their planned investments for the coming year? So it's a combination of looking back and then how comfortable that business leader is in how they're going to be able to meet the needs of their customers um, coming up in the next 12 months. Yeah, and there are lots of different technologies to to leverage. It really just kind of depends upon your particular business model. I mean, obviously, travel was uh, in the crosshairs during the pandemic. And what was cool, maybe I'll get your thoughts on this and Maribel's as well. What was cool is that it forced these organizations into a whole new set of actions for issues like vouchers, for example. In fact, in the last show in this in this podcast series, we were talking to Evan Kerstel, and he was talking about how the airlines very quickly went from refunding people to giving them vouchers because they realized that we're just sending all this money out the door. Cash is just flying out the window, so to speak. But if we use vouchers, then we can at least stop that hemorrhaging. Yeah, we have to provide a service later on, but at least it is an immediate outflow of cash. Well, what a brilliant way to solve a very pressing challenge because with COVID, guess what? Travel went sideways, the entire industry, and now they're kind of clawing back. But I guess the fun part of it, I'll throw this over to you, Jenny, is that it really did spur a lot of really good innovation around customer experience, around knowing what's possible, knowing where the gap is, all that fun stuff. It really came to a head and I think spun out some great innovation. What do you think, Jenny? I think it did. I think um, when the pandemic first hit, everyone went digital because they had to. You know, it was kind of a survival um, approach. Um, but as it kept going, um, organizations had to learn how to pivot. How are they going to interact with their customers? Um, one of the things in the travel industry, a lot of um, organizations use messaging. So the ability to not just know that someone's going to miss a flight because of bad weather. But to anticipate that, reach out to the customer and say, hey, do you want to reschedule your flight? So there's right. a lot of really cool technology that's now out there that you can use in really smart ways. I remember when I first saw that, when I got a text from my phone saying your flight is, is going to be delayed past your your um, your time, do you want to reschedule now? And what a wonderful service to offer to where I can just click on the link choose my next flight and and be done with it. Not only does it save me time, it saves the company time. Because if you call, on, you know, especially when there's a storm rolling in and things change, you get all these people calling in. It's a real chaotic experience. And the companies that do well in that kind of environment, they're going to do very well because people will remember in a crisis who was there for them and who wasn't. Right, Jenny? Yeah, it's that delight, that amount of experience that you can provide to someone. They might not have been expecting it, but you made their lives so much easier. And that loyalty um, is a big, a big step. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I'll throw it over to Maribel because uh, I think we can all get excited about that one. When the airline starts saying, oh, no change fees, you can change anytime, buy it now, change it anytime. I was like, yeah, let's keep these protocols in place, guys. I love this. I love the new world of travel. What do you think, Maribel? I want to pull it back to employee experience because let's talk a little bit about how that change actually really helped the business. Yeah. Um, it helped the customers and by helping the business, it could help the customers. So if you look at what was happening to contact center agents in any field, they were getting swarmed, absolutely crushed with volume, uh, demoralized the whole thing. When you start to do, well, it, and that's a real problem because if you get the demoralized staff, right. they leave. If they leave, it's very difficult for you to get new people on board. If you get them on board, it's very difficult to get them up and running quickly. Yet you have crushing demand. It's actually a really difficult situation to be in. If you can find creative ways to service that need and actually even service it better than, I mean, it, it was faster and easier for you to do that specific task on your mobile phone when you got off the plane rather than sit and wait on hold and probably right. five or six opportunities or be standing in a line, right? So you as an individual are delighted with the experience, but the company is also delighted because now they can actually deal with a bunch of other scenarios that are more complicated at that point in time, people that they can't get on a flight until say be maybe the next morning or two days from now or other things that they need to deal with, right? And there were other examples of things that were small and delightful and useful. So for example, banks that didn't allow um, mobile deposits all of a sudden started offering mobile deposits. So you didn't have to go to the bank. It didn't matter that the bank wasn't open. Um, They changed the amount that you could use for mobile deposits, recognizing that maybe some people had slightly larger checks that they needed to put in. So there's all that kind of innovation that happened there. Um, The other thing that was really great is I think we finally got to a point where we were starting to meet customers wherever they were. Mm-hmm. And this is where we broadened the definition of here's the one or two ways that you can deal with me. And we really started saying, hey, some of you want to talk to us in your social messaging apps. Some of you want to talk to us um, on your on uh, SMS. Some of you want to call. Some of you want to be on the web and do a live chat. I mean, there was like a lot of different ways you could do it at a lot of different times of the day. And I think that expectation that people were doing all kinds of crazy shifts in their schedules based on school, based on trying to fit in work. They did things at random hours. So how do you support that? Right. And how do you support it in a way that's scalable for a government, a small business, a large business, whatever size you were, you know, one of, one of my clients actually had to do 140,000 inquiries a day about unemployment benefits. How do you do that? You've got to find a way to automate that somehow. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. So you, you know, that you didn't have enough people to support that. So, so I like the way that there's things that we could do technically that would help the people that do sales and support that also delighted the customers. And I think that was kind of the big win, meeting people where they were and making it faster for everybody and taking the low-hanging fruit off the table so you didn't need to mess with the things that didn't require deep skill. That's right. No, it's such a perfect example. And and in this research, Jenny, I'll throw it over to you. There's another good stat that that really jumps out. 84% of people uh, polled said they plan to invest in technology to support the right mix of self-service and human-enabled engagement 
That's what we're talking about. That allows you to send the automated text message. That allows you, it lets an airline allow the machines to tell us the data that then gets pushed out to the user. Hey, your, your flight's going to be delayed. Do you want to reschedule now? It clicks on the link. It's a dynamic link. It gets me to a page where I can choose flights. That is self-service, which is great because I solved my own problem by myself. No person had to get on the phone, didn't have to wait in any line. Problem solved. I mean, it's just such a wonderful, talk about delight. I'll get 100% on board with the delight concept when that happens. And I now don't have to call and wait on some stupid thing, especially because some play music, some don't play music. It drives you crazy. You're like, where am I in this queue? It's very frustrating. And you just cut right through all that nonsense and solve the problem. Right, Jenny? Yeah. And I think it's being intelligent about self-service or being intelligent about assisted service. There's nothing that drives me crazier than when I'm on the phone and I'm hearing the hold message and it says, oh, go to our website. We can solve your problems. And you go to the website and you have to start from scratch to get back on the phone. So, you know, I think it's about um, understanding the intent of the customer. And usually you can do that based on what they've searched for or what are the steps that they've taken so far that you know technology-wise so that there are some easy things that you can solve for them in a self-service way. But if it's more complex, then that transition, hopefully in an effortless way to an agent, to an employee to help them with the more complex needs, that's the best of both worlds. You don't want the easy ones to come in to have to deal with a human, but you want that human empathy there for the more complex customer service problems. Yeah. And and the data everywhere helps immensely and it helps to understand what the workflows are. And the thing is, Maribel, I'll throw this over to you. Smart companies are already trying to innovate. Smart companies were trying to innovate before COVID hit. So they were prepared. We talk about this engagement preparedness index. If you can kind of understand where you are in the marketplace, that can help your decision makers, your CIO, your VPs, your directors of IT, all these people better prioritize and better understand what do we need to work on? And I've always found that that the more open you are with data, the more open you are with your reasons for things, the better off everyone's going to feel. All your employees will understand if you're like, look, here's the bottom line and we're below it right now. We have to figure something out to get back up that line. And the more transparent you are with your staff, the more involved they are, the more you listen to them, the better off everyone's going to feel. And that's good for morale. People can get through the hardest times as long as they feel like there's a purpose and they're doing something to help the problem. And that happens if they have the information and they are being heard. Right, Maribel? Yeah. One of the things I think is really interesting to that point that you're making is if we Think about empathy. Empathy is kind of a, a, a difficult word, right? Because in a lot of ways, you know, I think the people that are engaging with the customers just feel like they're a number and the customer's a number, right? right. So how do we how do we get out of them feeling like they're a number and how right. do we get out of them feeling that the customer's a number? And that's like reconnecting with your why as an organization. You know, what you're doing, why you're doing it, who, who it serves, right? And this gets to the concept of, you talked about data silos, you know, having more having a more complete view of the customer. The customer is Maribel. She's a person. She's doing this. She needs that. You know, Um, these are the type, you know, she's struggled with the same question five times when, you know, she's calling in, she's probably really frustrated. Right. So there's, (laughs) there's a, there's, um, but if you don't have that 
previous contexts of interactions with a person, it's very difficult for you to, you know, you're coming into it new the first time. One of the things I really like about what we can do with technology right now is um, it eliminates some of the original frustration of actually, who is this person? What um, services do they have? You know, basically people can come to the table with much more knowledge about the customer that makes it better for them, like in their mindset of how they're going to serve somebody. And it also makes it better for the customer. It eliminates that frustration. I've given everybody my account number five times. I've been bounced to five different people. It's like, we shouldn't be bouncing you to five different people. We shouldn't have to make you uh, do this five different times. And the person that is engaging with you should have some sense of what do we need to do? And if we have to figure it out on the fly, there's even stuff that helps you, helps guide you in terms of artificial intelligence, in terms of figuring out on the fly, in terms of sentiment analysis, in mm-hmm. terms of that um, next best action, in terms of other things that you could offer. There's also a sense of empowerment that I think that we need to try to create in these experiences. And having the right data can actually get you to a state where Um, The people that are supporting the customers, whether they're in the field or on the phone, can actually say, hey, this is something that might be good for you and be much more prescriptive Mm -hmm. about the guidance. Because while we all want to give our customers choice, sometimes customers just want a narrow set of potential answers to choose from and somebody that knows how to describe them. So you have to be able to have the narrow set of answers delivered quickly uh, via the data. You have to be able to have the information about what those different answers mean available to the agent. And, you know, not everything has to be so super scripted is the other thing. So how do we get people to the point where you don't feel like they're reading the card you are a very valued customer. <laughs> Does anybody feel valued when you say that? Nobody feels valued. No. <laughs> so, um, Or due to the COVID-19 pandemic, call time. I mean, okay, it's been two years, people. Get over it. Like, you've got to find a way to make call hold times lower. So, uh, yeah. So, it, it's stuff like that that we are working on and that I think AI can be truly helpful in in this human-machine partnership way as opposed to, I think everybody originally thought it was like, oh, well, this will help us replace people. It's like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> That's not what this is about. Frankly, we need more people than like, you know, we ever did, right? So it's not about that. It's about how do we make the people we have um, more effective, more efficient, um, feel like they know what they're doing and that they can you know, do it well and get to the next step. And yeah. I think that's the power of technology today. Yeah, that, that's amazing stuff too. And, and you're right. And a lot, you have to remember a lot of these issues are fairly small, but can be handled. And so you look at chatbots, for example, and I think uh, there were some examples of chatbots that came out a bit prematurely. The technology wasn't quite ready for prime time and they wound up just irritating people. You don't want to do that. But chatbots done well can solve sometimes 80% or more of the messages that come in. When are you open? Do you have this product? Is this service still available? I mean, you see this in like Facebook, for example, when you go to the marketplace, they give you a a, a question to ask. Is this available? They're trying to facilitate that process whereby the transaction gets done. Every piece of data is an opportunity, right? Every piece of data can share something about a workflow, a process, a person, an idea, a product, whatever. So any piece of data can start the thought process and lead to good actions, right? Yeah. So one of the things that we have seen is that there is data that helps the agent. And that makes a lot of sense, right? 
Um, there are automatic things that you can do, such as tracking um, the, the call records and other things, you know, automatic transcription and things of that nature. But what do you find out as a business from that? The, the thing I think a lot about is, okay, so we now have information that tells you if there's something wrong with your process. If the process isn't working, if somebody changed something and all of a sudden that worked better, you can actually get a good handle on does your process work? The mm-hmm. other thing that's interesting is you can have really interesting insight on whether or not there's an issue with your product. If n number of people call with a similar issue, all of a sudden you're like, oh, perhaps that's an opportunity to change our product. Mm-hmm. You can also do better workforce management. It's like, oh, people that solve things this way get off the phone. Um, and help first call resolution 50% more, right? So it's not just even about how long somebody's on the phone. It's about whether or not they've actually addressed the problem. So there's lots of ways we can think of data. And I think what we had, you know, we've always had data. What we really haven't done is taken that data, taken the analysis of that data to the next level and fed it back into our processes and workflows to change how business gets done, to change our product categories, to find ways to increase our revenue. Um, There's lots of interesting insights that we can create now, and I'm very excited for that opportunity. Yeah, and you you wanted to start with the data. So I'll throw it over to Jenny. To Maribel's point, there's all this data that you can get. The question is, what do you do with it, right? And if you have a bunch of messages coming in about this product and people seem to be unhappy, well, maybe there was something wrong with the product. And the point is you can analyze any of these bits and really have your teams focus on whether it's delivery or product design or whatever, but get them the data, as much of it as you can, so they can better understand the context because a lot lot gets lost in translation, right? So you want to to share the data and have everyone have their ownership in the data that matters for them. And let that data start the processes, let that data be the foundation for everything you do in the organization. What do you think, Jenny? I think you need to. I mean, there's so many data silos. I mean, when we talk to organizations, that's usually one of the first things they say. Oh, we've got so much data. What do we do with it all? Right now, it's in so many different pockets of the organization. So oftentimes, the experience data is over here in this warm, fuzzy place. And then you've got the interaction data where people are trying to actually solve customer service issues. And really, you got to bring them together. So how do you understand what someone is doing and how the employee is interacting with those customers to deliver that customer experience? I think there's a lot of really powerful predictive and um, artificial intelligence that can assess what's going on in that call to say, oh, here we have these trends that are appearing. It isn't something I already set up as a speech analytics category, but it's something that is emerging. So how do I, as a contact center, make adjustments on the fly to what's going on? How do I share that information? And even when you have agents, you have employees that are struggling, you want to be able to understand that and help them. So Mm -hmm. sometimes it's when there's extra long hold times. Well, is it that they're struggling because they don't have the knowledge to answer the question? You know, so sometimes that means more coaching, more tools to help them. Are they talking over the customer? Is Mm -hmm. that, you know, bad experience for the employee and the customer? So can you get a supervisor to intervene? I think there's so many things that we could be doing smarter with data um, and really empower that decision making. Um, I love all the examples that you provided, Maribel, and that you did, Eric. It's, It's really powerful if you use it in the right way. Yeah. And, you know, I'll throw this over to you, Maribel, and I think you kind of hinted at this too, 
at least you're, you're talking about channels. And with data, it's the same thing. You always need context, right? One data point by itself is, can be very misleading. And I'll give you an example. Long call times. Let's say we're dealing with a call center and you have one person, Julie, who has lots of like long calls. That doesn't mean she's bad. You have to match that against the other data, which says, oh, look at that. 90% of the people are highly satisfied and she does upsells all the time. Mm -hmm. That's because people like talking to her. Now, there may be someone else with long calls and they're just not long because they're not doing it right because they can't find the information. These are very different scenarios with the same data point describing them. So you always have to look at the context to kind of figure out where it fits in the workflow, in that situation. And that's when you can really figure stuff out. Let's get this lady a raise instead of firing her. What do you think, Maribel? Yeah, I think we have to rethink the way we judge engagement, right? Um, we're we're trying to build engagement, not transaction. And that's a big difference. Hmm. So transaction is like, boom, boom, boom. I get you in, I get you out. I'm on to the next thing, right? Engagement is about um, who are you? What do you need? How do I serve you better? How do I create something where you're going to be loyal and keep coming back? And that typically does not equate to throwing somebody off of their channel of choice, <laughs> be, that a, be that a live chat or a person or even a bot, right? So um, what I think we really need to think about is what are, we, we need to redo the metrics. What's the metric we're actually looking mm-hmm. at, right? Um, how are we increasing the lifetime value of the customer? How are we increasing um, NPS? You know, okay, we've got uh, average call hold times. Obviously, you don't want those to be very long, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you're optimizing for them to be as short as possible. So I think you need to kind of keep the eye on the prize and, and match it back to your key metrics. You know, there are years where it's like, hey, this year, it's all about increasing sales. So maybe uh, that gets to the metric that you're um, getting your customer sales and support on is like, how are we improving and increasing sales within these mm-hmm. different channels, right? Uh, another year, it could be like, hey, we've gotten terrible customer support numbers. Um, what do we do to fix that? Some of it can be fixing the product. Some of it can be saying, okay, we need to spend more time on the phone, making sure that we get them to first call resolution and that their problem is fixed, not just, you know, patched or they'll call back later or they're frustrated and hang up. So different years may require different metrics, but none of them are saying that you're going to treat this as a transactional thing. We're talking about the engagement capacity cap, which means where you're trying to drive engagement, not transactions. And that's a big difference. You're not a website. <laughs> you're a <Yeah>. <laughs> What a good point. Yeah, Jane, I'll get you to comment on that. It's a, a brilliant distinction. You have to know what you're trying to accomplish and then set out programs to do so and then measure them and and be as neutral minded as you can through that whole process, right, Jenny? Yeah, and I think the examples Maribel gave are good ones because you can't look at just one metric. You know, so is it average handle time? Well, yes and no. How does that also map with the first contact resolution or the customer experience. And, you know, I think success rates of engaging customers, really measuring their loyalty. Um, You're going to have some people that are transactional, but um, most of the time they want you to not rush them off the phone. They'll sense that, you know, as soon as you start. And if they're transactional, they're going to a bot, right? Right. (laughs) That's the easy stuff. Like by the time they get to you, it's like they need to engage for some reason. Yeah, right. something else is broken that they would have done a self-search, but they can't. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And there are, I think you have to set realistic targets. 
and try to move the needle in realistic ways. I'll throw it over to you, Jenny, for some closing comments here. Don't try to do too much too fast. Try to understand one particular significant challenge. Why is why are our call times so long? It's a very simple one. And just try to focus in on that, understand it, and then start taking actions that you can measure, right? Yeah, I think it's about evaluating and assessing, knowing what's going on with your customers, with your employees. You know, it's not a one size fits all, even within your organization. You know, you're going to have some customers that need something different than other customers. So, you know, I think it's being smart about the technology you use and applying it in the right ways so that you have loyal customers. You retain the ones you have and you grow the base. Um, That's really what this is all about. Yeah. And uh, just to kind of um, mirror what Mirabelle said earlier, um, Maribel, see, I'm doing it now because of Encanto. I blame Encanto and going back and forth. No, but seriously, you want happy employees when the morale is high on your employees. And if you've got someone having to bang out 140,000 texts in a day, that's not going to be a high morale employee. Real quick, Maribel. From the employee standpoint, you yeah. have to make sure they have the right data. You've got to make sure that you've given them the right metrics and it is about engagement. So empowering them to do so. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CX Experience. We hope you learned a thing or two. And check out Varench.com for case studies, ebooks, and white papers about the ultimate customer experience. <laughs>